0: I just wanted to briefly thank a few of our team who are here today. Executive producer Denise Ben Moshe, co producer Christian Pope, associate producer um, Rob Quaintance, and creative consultant Cynthia Kane.
1: And in the new creative team, Margaret Crimmins, sound design. And also the woman book inspired us to make the film Janet Wallach, the author of Desert Green. <laughs> Janet will later sign her books at the American Book Center at uh, 4.30, from 4.30 on, so anybody who wants a book signed can go over there.
2: So congratulations with this beautiful film, and the Dutch premiere too, and what a remarkable woman. How come she is so unknown in the West? Already after a couple of years, I understood.
0: Well, that's a really interesting question, and that's one of the reasons that we're, we were really intrigued originally. When we read Janet's book and we saw how important Gertrude Bell had been in the reshaping of the Middle East after World War One, and so few people had heard of her, it was one of the reasons that, we, um, that prompted us as we were doing the research for the film, which took us four years to complete, we became aware that th- in many, many of the memoirs of Gertrude Bell's colleagues, she was not mentioned at all. Even though we had the documentation that she was at every meeting, she made important decisions. She was a you know, important person and a player at that time, for example in the Cairo conference you can see her as one of only six people at every meeting The some of the men who wrote memoirs of that period of the conference totally do not mention her so that really um, started to become a pattern so that sort of um, strengthened our resolve to do the film.
1: Yes, and even we recently a new book about T.E. Lawrence came out two years ago, Lawrence in Arabia, and even in there she was not mentioned, not even in a footnote.
2: Well. Oh. 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 So, the explanation is the man just left her out of history.
0: Yes, well, it, it depends whose memoirs you read, exactly. you know, and the amazing thing was in this uh, biography that Sabina mentioned, he talks a lot about, the author talks a lot about Gilbert Clayton and as being T.E. Lawrence's direct military supervisor and it was quite clear that Gilbert Clayton credited Gertrude Bell with giving T.E. Lawrence his maps and tribal notes. So it depends what path your research takes.
1: Yes, and also I think um, uh, you know there is a certain resentment to women when they have achieved... A, a of power, For example, one of our advisors, uh, Priya Satya, made this really interesting statement about um, men exploring the desert, you know, the early British explorers in the desert, and that was all wonderful and great. And the minute a woman actually did it, it diminished their own achievements. So it was, um, you know, a, a sort of a damper on their oh. own. Some
2: of her contemporaries describe her as unfriendly, not likable, elegant. Um, how do you look at her after four years of being together with her?
1: I think uh, for us what was interesting is that she is a complex character. I mean, I think uh, w- any character, if they're one-dimensionally, o- you know, always, you know, uh, positive and, and in the best line, uh, they become a little dollar for storytelling, and she really is a very complex character. And as we were digging into her letters, we really also saw the struggle that she led behind it, and so the admiration for her really, um, you know, became more and more for us, and, and we were able to see that for example, just the, the museum itself, it was a battle for her to try to get that museum established. And she, she constantly fought all kinds of, um, of objections against her own ideas and her own um, uh, goals. And so uh, the admiration is there for her and her achievements.
0: I think that it's really come home for us, especially in the last few weeks, as Americans, that powerful women elicit a range of controversial um, <laughs> attitudes, <laughs> shall we say? <laughs> Thank
2: you. So, so it even has to be sexless, sexless be, being so being there in this way. Well, exactly.
1: Yeah, and uh, often there the, the, the things that are being pointed out my, by men is whether they, they look beautiful or you know. With the veil their voice uh, It's all about the out, the appearance and less about you know their achievements.
0: Well we had one just quickly one such a provocative comment in the memoir of Frank Stafford who is in the film who said uh, who wrote in this letter you know she was perfectly nor- na- she was perfectly normal sexually there was never any whiff of impropriety. It's like, who asked you about her sexuality? That was
2: so weird. <laughs> yeah, it is. But it even makes her more remarkable that she achieved doing this. Yeah. Do you have any idea how she could, uh, was so different from other women? How she became like this?
0: Well, I think partly her very, very close relationship with her father, and you know, we don't want to psychoanalyze her, of course, but you know her the death of her mother when she was quite young her closeness with her father she felt absolutely as entitled in every way to the men that she knew and that was really the defining attitude in her life
1: but early on a curiosity also for the other i mean she was a rebel from early on she was always challenging her brothers uh, her younger brother and she um, had this uh, sort of sense of adventure, basically from three years old
0: We actually we are in very good touch with her family, her descendants, the descendants of her half brothers and half sisters and one of them said she was wild she was you know her reputation at the family was as wild a wild person.
1: How
2: did they react on the, on the movie
1: they they were very happy with the movie. um, We had a wonderful showing up at Newcastle where most of the family lives and where also the Gertrude Bell archives are. And even her uh, uh, niece uh, came to see it. She's 93, 93, 94. And uh, they were very, very thrilled. They
0: felt we captured her essence, Mm -hmm. which was like the highest compliment.
2: And what about in Iraq? Is he remembered in Iraq? Is, or is he forgotten there too?
0: Uh, no, actually, we had a meeting in Washington in the Iraqi embassy, and um, we were talking about the film about Gertrude Bell and the. Um, and he said, "Oh, you mean Miss Bell? Oh, of course, Miss Bell. I'm very interested to mm-hmm. find out more. She is. Uh, um, f- uh, she is referred to and remembered in an." affectionate way in Iraq.
1: Yes, we also, do, during our research, we worked closely with the National Library and Archives in Baghdad and had a lot of exchanges with people from different backgrounds and everybody uh, knew exactly who she was. There was no question.
0: Except not in her hometown in Newcastle. <laughs> not everybody.
1: Yeah. People said, who's Gertrude Bell?" Really? Yeah.
2: So, you uh, you have an, a, a stunning footage you, you gathered together. How did you do this? Because it's the list, we also saw the list of archives and people working together with you. How did you do this research?
0: Well, we, um, actually, that was one of our biggest challenges. When we began the project, we were not certain that we would be able to find enough footage of the region from 100 years ago in order to do a film about it. And very first phone call that we made actually, coincidentally, is the footage of Baghdad from a 100 years ago at the very beginning of the film where you see the harbor and they're unpacking boxes and it's like, oh, we have to do this.
1: Yes, and over the time we also obviously became very familiar. I mean, her photographs gave us a, a, a very good background, information on places. And when you do this research, Not every time. I mean, some of these uh, films, they were not properly labeled, so as we got material in that was, you know, maybe could have been Iraq, we didn't know up front, we were able to identify right away, oh, that's from the Kurdish section of Iraq, or, you know, this must be from the south, this is definitely Basra, so it was um, something that over time we also became very familiar with to identify shots that maybe someone who didn't know would somewhere in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And we had to be very
0: careful, particularly with the camels, because people, you know, kept giving up, sending us footage which was Tibet or Mongolia or, you know, the wrong camels. These are not the <laughs> right camels. So we became very educated. But did you go there yourself?
2: Through <laughs> all the archives? So how did you do this? You uh, oh, through the
0: archives? Well, some of them we did, but then we did a lot of we have some beautiful footage from the Eye Museum here in, in Amsterdam and we had researchers in England and in Germany and then as you saw in the credits we formed very wonderful relationships with the archivists who went out of our, their way to find special clips for us.
2: That's beautiful because it brings you back a hundred years ago and you saw this, you, you imagine yourself her life again. Um, why did you choose for this way of telling the story by only reading her letters and, 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 and saying and have contemporaries as actors telling yes. the story?
1: Um, well, we knew early on we definitely wanted it to be the film being told from the point of view of Gertrude Bell, but uh, there was a choice could we put in contemporary interviews with archaeologists, historians, Not interesting to us. We always thought maybe it, it's more like a film that could have been done three years after Gertrude Bell's death. So we as we researched and found all these primary source material, memoirs, letters written about her to from you know her colleagues and her family, we decided that wouldn't it be interesting to have these people actually speak to camera and become sort of the dialogue? Surrounded her, and and we made very sure we had sort of strict rules that they had to be if they weren't alive after 1930, they could not be on camera. Uh, I mean, they had to be alive at that moment. Uh So, for example, when you hear only voices, these people had already passed by 1929, 1930, and uh, we also were very strict about source material, a lot of people have asked well why didn't you interview Hugh Bell, her father, he is such an important character well unfortunately we did not find anything that he had written about his daughter we knew there was a diary but we did never find it and there is a rumor that it may have been burned by Florence Bell at some point
0: the other thing that we were very aware of is that the film, we were very aware of the conflicting narratives of the establishment of Iraq and the Middle East after World War I. So that's why we felt it would be really great and sort of important to have the primary source material so that we weren't having to deal with a bias from a historian or someone looking back. So it really was
2: you ever worked together before? Or was this your first film together?
1: Uh, 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 yes, we did. We Because uh, we you are an editor. Yes. And
2: you are a p- producer and photographer, aren't you? Yeah.
1: Yes, we did work on a film, and that's actually where the whole um, journey for about Gertrude Bell started. It was an oth- a film about another trailblazing woman named Ruth Gruber. The film was called Ahead of traveled a lot in the Middle East, and I had asked her one day when we were all at her apartment, did she know Gertrude Bell? And she said, no, I don't know her, and Ziva was there and said, oh, I just read her biography. And so we said, oh, you know, that's another really interesting woman, we should do something about her, and so that sort of set us on to that journey.
0: And then it took us uh, three years about to get our schedules to um, sync up, and then we've been we worked on this project for four years.
2: And do you look at, at in a different way now to the uh, to the region in a moment? Yeah. Yes. Can you tell something about.
0: That? Well, what was interesting to us was on so many different levels. Not just that Gertrude Bell, for example, was a complex person and she was arrogant and vulnerable and you know lots of different. She had lots of different dualities in her personality. But also we picked up. Uh, nuances of even between the colonialists. I mean, you have someone like A.T. Wilson and you have in contrast someone like Clayton or Percy Cox. Just in the being inside so many different people's heads during this period, it really was able to really broaden us. Um, And then the other thing, we knew that the first finance minister of Iraq was Jewish, but then, when we started to research more and research Gertrude Bell's letters and get in contact with uh, Baghdadi Jews, we discovered that really, really interesting fact of how prominent and influential they were.
1: But, uh, and it was also, from the beginning, as we read um, all this material, clear were inherent <coughs> parallels to what's going on today or even in 2003. In fact, when we started the film, 2003, American invasion was over, uh, troops pulled out, but then by the time we finished the film, the whole Middle East blew up again with ISIS and everything. And to just see the same things happening 100 years ago again today, or even uh, 10 years ago, it's it's frustrating and it's aggravating, and it is really something that gave us even more impetus to bring this film out. Even her museum was uh,
2: destroyed in two thousand and three. Exactly, it? Yeah. it wasn't
0: the same building, which is why we ended up changing the <coughs> word. It was her the collection that she specifically put together, and we have her handwrite handwritten lists of, of course, the artifacts, and some of which were looted and never found after 2003. I may have some questions
2: from the audience.
3: Uh, (coughs) I want to thank you very much for your wonderful film, beautiful story it's very important to write women back into the history and you did that very well but your choice to focus on written sources has also a danger because there are a lot of people who are not in the sources we call that the subaltern in history and in your movie you kind of reproduce in my opinion the colonial mindset in which the subalterns don't matter so did you do any did you think about this problem and did you think about the colonial racial mindset maybe which you encounter when you read these letters because it's about us discovering the world, about us excavating, about us building national museums. Our, you, you talked about her collection and not about the collection of the Iraqi people. So, so I'm, I'm impressed but also a bit shocked to be honest by the way you, yeah deal with this very sensitive topic. Well, the, um,
0: the question, did you hear? Yeah. Well, the Iraqi point of view was one of the principal things that we wanted to make sure to include, and in fact um, we tracked down the memoirs and the descendants of Fadi, who is, is a, a character in the film and also interviewed extensively Tamara Dagestani, who is a descendant of Fakhri Jamil, Madam Jamil, Madame Fakri. So we were very, very conscious of that line. We did not want to present a one-sided film. So um, we did have to branch out from written sources.
1: Yes. we. Uh, one of the, as I was sa- saying earlier, the Iraqi National Archives and Library had, for example, uh, it was the only place where we found this. We knew it existed. Uh, there was a, a Newspaper that came out very shortly during the Arab rebe- Rebellion of 1920, and it's called Al Istiklal And so, what we did, it, for example, in this particular case, um, the journalist that speaks—it's act- an op-ed in that particular paper, Al istiklal which is obviously <laughs> very personal and very, uh, you know, first, first point of view. And and so we we made sure that we would cover all as much as we could, I mean sometimes it's a little bit more difficult because th- unfortunately also the National Archives and Library were destroyed <coughs> in 2003, but we were able, and they're, they're putting it back together and so we were uh, excited to find uh, quite some material there as well.
0: And we worked very closely with, uh, we had an Iraqi researcher, we had many Iraqi assistants, we had it, and advisors as well, Lamia Al Ghaylani. Uh, who is a descendant of the Naqib of Baghdad. So we did um, really try to incorporate that.
2: Other questions?
3: Yes, hello. My name is Johan Wolthuis. I'm (coughs) from the city of Arnhem. Uh, My compliments for your enormous research and this fantastic work. However... Uh, my most famous movie is a movie from David Lean from the 60s. You can hardly guess which one. Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> so I was very interested to see the story. And last year I was saw in summer in Germany a film Queen of the Desert with Nicole Kidman, which is exactly <laughs> the story of Cat But it disappeared immediately from the cinema locations. The uh, and I was in the cinema, there were only five persons sitting in the cinema. So, Did you see that movie?
1: We saw uh, a little bit of it. Um, it uh, yes, it came out uh, last uh, in Berlin. It premiered in Berlin in 2015. And it didn't get such favorable reviews, partly because uh, it is focusing solely on her romantic life. And people felt very... Gertrude Bell that were not mentioned in the film. So, uh, we didn't see the full film yet. It has not been released.
2: My compliments for your movie, very good. it feels like a very expensive uh, production with all this archival footage. Was it easy to get it financed or find partners, networks, to participate in this project?
0: Well, it, that was uh, quite a challenge, and we were very fortunate um, at the get-go to find two people who were willing to help finance the film uh, you're right off the bat, and then we applied and received two National Endowment for the Humanities grants. But because our film is historical in nature, most of the funding these days in the States is for social commentary, advocacy films, social issues. So we had a very hard time sort of navigating our way around that. The National Endowment for Humanities was fantastic. Our private donors and executive producers were fantastic. And then we have a a pre-buy deal with Arte, which was (coughs) fantastic. And we
1: did a Kickstarter campaign. Yes. That was very important because that was early on. One of the things we wanted to make sure is that the film really would hold up on the big screen. And we went to ask the archives to go back into their vaults and... Rescan the negatives that hadn't been scanned and, or scanned them at some point, uh, some of them had never been scanned, and make it available so uh, it's now digitally available, everything that we had scanned for other filmmakers to use as well. And that campaign, that Kickstarter campaign, really gave us uh, you know, a whole following of people that were equally interested in Gertrude Bell and in the process of making this film.
3: I understood and uh, even though uh, Iran was a majority Shia country, she nevertheless, which nevertheless, wanted it to be governed by the Sunnis. <coughs> and she gave a reason for that,
0: but that seemed not very convincing. What do you think was the real reason? Well, we put so that into know, the. the, the Yes, the question was she, um, even though Gertrude Bell said and acknowledged that it's a Shia majority in Iraq, she was advocating for a Sunni ruler, and he wanted a little bit more explanation about that. Um, So, yeah, we felt that that was really important to include in the film because that was her attitude, and we need to understand that. Um, She did not have as much of contact with the Shia, because as she writes, they would not speak to her without a veil on, and she would not put a veil on. Also, it's important that she was very secular. Gertrude Bell was, in fact, an atheist. She was not religious, and she was, she was very concerned about the potential for religious leadership. That would not have been the direction that she would want for Iraq, um, and those are two those are a few of the reasons that her her connection with the Shias was not as solid as with the Sunnis. So, so it
3: was maybe a bit of a bias also.
0: Yes, yes, and the Sunnis were um, uh, more educated and they I mean she spoke Arabic, she spoke lots of different dialects of Arabic, but yes, the people that she Formed relationships with war Sunnis for the most part. And it was, a b- yeah, that was her bias.
2: Thank you. She, was, she was very eager to do it right, wasn't
0: she? Yes, that she was very um, motivated to authentically do the right thing in the country. She really believed.
1: And, and maybe when we, when uh, Dorothy Vaness refers in the film to you know that the that the election was a little bit obviously um, uh, rigged uh, was but, uh, because also the Shia um, often were Persians and therefore didn't really have an Iraqi uh, were not considered Iraqi so then they were also not allowed to vote or to be in government. She in, in the final cabinet, she had uh, one Shia, uh, but she also had a Jewish, a Jewish uh, um, finance minister, and she, had, she tried to have the different religious backgrounds represented and di- different ethical backgrounds represented in the
0: cabinet. I mean, one of the things that we would say looking back that was perhaps naive was that very same thing she wanted to be inclusive because she felt that if she was inclusive that everyone would work together but in fact it started a lot of you know petty competitiveness so it it it, it came from a very good place in her effort to try to make everyone equal and sort of a democratic approach but in the end it may have not had that
2: she, uh, played a dominant role in shaping the map of this, this, area, this region?
1: She was um, mostly um, involved with creating the southern border. That was the area that she had traveled largely and she knew the tribal leaders in that area and she worked closely with them. Actually they they came to her office and they would discuss about where the, where the border uh, should possibly be the, the northern border border with uh, Kurdistan uh, was done after her death uh, so she wasn't part of that
2: one more question or do we have to yeah. uh, first of
1: all I
0: apologize if, if maybe I just want to ask <laughs> why in the conference of
2: sorry Kyle. oh sorry
3: <laughs> I will come I back to you later
2: With the microphone.
3: They chose a sovereign
0: from outside Iraq, not from the Iraqi people. So, yes, was the question why they chose Faisal? (coughs) Because he was an, and and the fact that he was an outsider? The question is why they chose a sovereign or a king or a governor from outside Iraq instead of getting someone from the Iraqi people. Right. Well, Gertrude Bell, as she says in the film, was very interested to find a local uh, person to be involved as the ruler and they asked many they asked some people that they felt would be appropriate and that didn't you know, that nobody that they thought would be a good match was willing to go forward with it and their fear. The reason they chose Faisal, as she describes it, was that everyone else was. It was so tribal that it would be very hard for you to pick one person from one group without everyone else sort of retaliating. You know, without creating sec, you know strife in that way. So that she thought it would be safest, not not physically safest, but like. Like a good choice to go outside, and that Faisal could r- relate to both the Sunnis and the Shia because he was a descendant of Muhammad.
1: Yes, and the pro- the problematics that we also see obviously now today, and that Korti Ivanes exactly. uh, refers to, is to try to create this nation out of all these different people that each want to be, you know, each want to be heard, and each have their own. For existence and for for interest, is uh, it will take forever. It will take many many years. And so, in order to appease everyone, they decided to bring out someone from the outside. But you can wonder today, uh, clearly uh, wonder today, that maybe a republic would have been better. Maybe the three beyods of Basra, um, Baghdad, and the north uh, would have. Been would have been a better idea to just leave them, not as a state, but leave them separate.
2: So, okay. Uh, first of all, if the movie already said what I'm about to ask and I missed it, I apologize. So my question is, is curiosity. Uh, this young girl, 24, 25, graduated in Oxford, and now she wants to go somewhere adventurous. She could have gone everywhere in the world. She could have gone to Africa, to China, everywhere. Everywhere was the British influence. So why did she choose Tehran?
0: Well, the interesting thing is, why did she choose Tehran? Oh, because her um, stepmother's brother was ambassador to Iran. to to Persia. That's why. And she got an invitation to spend time with him and live with them. So that was her. And she did actually travel the world, as wealthy Victorians did at that time, with different family members. But Tehran, which she graduated when she was 19, or 20 I think from Oxford, was her first step outside her
1: and, and the Rosens who she meets there, the, the German ambassador, they were later in, in Jerusalem, and so that was right. one of the reasons then she went to Jerusalem. But uh, she really, I think, falling in love for the first time and being in another country, those two things combined probably really sort of made her passion for the East blossom.
2: Well, I think we have to come. We came to the end. We have one, one other question. Do we have a uh, new project you're going to do together? <laughs> Many. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're percolating. We're percolating. But uh, well, we're not there I yet because we're still yeah. like giving birth to this one. <laughs> it's a long birth. <laughs> Put her back on in history. <laughs> no, thank